amongst us. So you're always welcome. So please see yourselves as that. Ah, thank you, Dan. Um, and for those of you who um, haven't yet met Mark and Pat, they were with us last year at some stage. Uh, they have led churches here. They do loads of ministry um, in, in America as well. They're out here for a number of months. And actually, we are so privileged to have you for two weeks. So I snapped um, them up as quickly as I could. And uh, so, Mark, would you come up? I'd love to pray for you. Um, and... It's just, um, is this too high for you? Tell me, we can, we can arrange it. Does that feel all right? Great. Is yours on? Uh, let's turn it on. Is that working nicely? Test. I think I'm on. Can everybody hear me? Great. Good morning. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for uh, Mark and Pat. Thank you for their willingness and their heart to serve you. Thank you for their willingness to open up their hearts and their lives to us. Thank you for their passion for you, for your word, and for your kingdom across the globe. And so as Mark speaks today, um, oh, please open uh, up our spiritual eyes. We want to hear you through him as he speaks. So thank you for him in your powerful name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks Amen. so much. Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the warm welcome. It is so good to be in the sunshine city of Harare, the wonderful people of Harare. It was Salisbury in 1980 when I first came. And the welcome then, the welcome now, the faith, the sense of community, it's wonderful. And I am not oblivious to the challenges. I've been to the supermarket. I see the prices of goods. I've driven the roads. Interestingly enough, instead of change, I was given chewing gum. And that came in handy on the Bardell Road with the traffic and the way people were driving. I put a couple pieces in my mouth, and I chomped on that rather than biting my tongue. We've been here four weeks. We've been in churches. We did marriage seminar, my wife and I, a leadership training yesterday at Bible schools. Uh, we're here until the 10th of April, almost three months. And there's such an attraction to come back each year because of the great spiritual hunger and the openness in the country to teach and preach our Lord Jesus. There's no one like Jesus to know him to love him, to serve him. There's no greater life. Well, I want to share with you uh, a message, but before I do, Craig asked me to introduce my latest book. I love the fact that you have a book table, and there's copies of They Asked Why. And just to give you the genesis of this book, I had written Blindside It, which was my grief journey, driven by the question, why? When my son, my youngest, who we raised here to age 10, when he was just shy of 20, studying to be a pastor, was hit uh, during a hammer throw event. And when they phoned me, they said he didn't make it to the hospital. And I wrote to process my grief. Little did I know how God would answer my why question. And that book, the trailer, about a quarter of a million people each month, two years ago, were viewing it. And I heard many stories of people's loss, severe loss. 
their grief. But what surprised me most was a lot of Christians don't believe that God answers our why questions. I would get responses, and 8 out of 10, I was taught not to ask. That's kind of a question of unbelief and different kinds of responses, which drove me to write another book, and this is the sequel to that, because I wanted to look at the why in the Bible. Every place the word why appears, especially when people ask God. So this examines Moses, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, Job, the psalmist, all have why questions for God. And the subtitle is, and God answered them. So we look at their why questions, we look at the answers God gave them, and we see our God is a God who is not silent, but he does speak. And so there's copies back in the back. If you've been through loss, and we all do go through loss in this life, loss of loved ones, loss of dreams, uh, maybe relationships that are broken, uh, various needs, goals, frustrated, grab a copy. And it may influence your prayer life because we see often God's people ask God why. And there's in each chapter a different insight into the answer of why they're suffering, why there's loss, why they're setback. Well, it's a big message today, living in the fullness of the Spirit. And we want to jump in because in Zimbabwe, in America, everywhere, we need to live in the fullness of the Spirit, to live a victorious Christian life, to overcome that which would be weighing us down, people uh, weighed down by the cares of life. There's so many things that can weigh on us. But God has not left us as orphans, and he has given us his spirit. And we want to look at what we can do to live in the fullness of the spirit, what it's so vital. And you know, the days we're living in since COVID, it seems like things have speeded up. War in the Ukraine, and then in October, the first week, Israel was invaded, and we can see We are living in the last hour. Jesus is coming. And we want to be like the wise virgins amongst the ten. Five, when the cry went out, the bridegroom's coming, five had oil. They trimmed their wicks and they had oil. And they were ready to meet the Lord at his coming. They were able to respond in their day to God amidst the darkness, amidst the chaos and the confusion. What can we do? Well, Ephesians 5.18, tremendous verse, it tells us, and do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, or one translation says, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit talking about the Holy Spirit, living a life filled with the Spirit, and it contrasts the filling of the Spirit with being filled with wine. 
You know, when you get filled with wine, you forget your inhibitions, you forget your cares. There's reasons why people drink it in excess, right? On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were out on the streets. They weren't closed up in an upper room for fear. They were out amongst people, and they supposed, some supposed, they were drunk with wine but they were filled with the Spirit. And we want to see what we can do to be filled with the Spirit. In my life, God had a big job to do. I was drinking in the wrong kind of spirits when Jesus made himself known to me. That was 46 years ago. I started reading the Bible. Every time I picked the Bible up, every page I read, I was convicted to the core. Oh, how I needed to change. You need to be a witness. I mean, just one verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. I'm like, okay. And then I came across the verse, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, I found out then and I have certainly seen since then, the Christian life is not difficult to live. No, the Christian life's not difficult. It's impossible (laughs) in your own strength. But what's impossible with men is possible with God. The will will take you so far, and there needs to be a willingness, but to perform. And to do. God will do for us what we can't do. When we do what we can do, he will do what we can't do. The secret to the Christian life of abiding in him. And God had a big job in my life. There were walls in my heart that needed to be torn down. Things that needed to be removed, replaced, empty places that needed to be filled. The alcohol, the getting drunk, fell away quickly. But smoking, oh, I would eat. I'll never forget the first time I remembered the Spirit speaking to me. I pulled into Burger King, ate my hamburger and my french fries, pulled out my cigarette, put it in my mouth, I was ready to light up, and a still, small voice said, if you give me those, I'll take them. I had tried before. I knew this wasn't my own thoughts. It came in such a way. I pulled the cigarette out of my mouth, took the pack, put it in the empty Burger King bag, and just threw it in the garbage can and never smoked again. God set me free. I don't know um, what you're struggling with. I was struggling with my addiction to nicotine. And God set me free. His spirit in me. Oh, I needed an extreme makeover. I wanted to live victoriously. I wanted to be free from fear and all the oppression of sin. And I found God can do for you what you can't do for yourself. 
But it's important that we do do what we can do. And in Ephesians 5, there's one thing right there on that verse that says we, we can do something. And I found it very helpful. And we're going to look at several things we can do in Scripture. But there in Ephesians 5, in the 19th verse, it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You want to be filled with the Spirit? You want to live a life in the fullness of the Spirit? Sing in your heart. I find sometimes from a Sunday we'll sing a song like Jesus paid it all. All for me he paid. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I'll be singing that in my heart. Maybe driving down the road. Maybe at the grocery. Maybe a time where there's some stress. And I just start singing. And I sense the fullness of the Spirit. I sense a building up, an encouragement. You don't have to be one of the worship leaders. I'm certainly not a gifted singer. I remember in 1980 at the Mabel Rain Chapel, somebody tapping me on the shoulder and saying, can you take it down a note? (laughs) But God doesn't hear it like people hear it. And the psalm singing and the psalmist singing, he knew this secret. God dwells in your heart to have victory in your heart. Christ dwells in there by faith. Paul said to Timothy, fan the flame of the Holy Spirit. Let it break forth and begin to burn within you. Fan the flame, stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. That's ours in Christ. Now, being filled with the Spirit is not automatic. It's not the default setting. It's different than being born again. It's the same spirit by which you're born again, but it's a fullness of that spirit. Yes, we need fillings, just like we fill our car up with gas. Some Christians are running on fumes. They're struggling. But God has a fullness of the spirit for you. So I want to give you a little tour of Acts because I want you to see what they were doing in Acts when they were filled. Because if we're doing these things, God will do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We'll see breakthroughs. We'll see changes. We'll see God do what is impossible for men. 71 times in Acts, the Spirit is mentioned. But we're going to focus on where it says they were filled. Well, what were they doing? A little tour of Acts. And not just to see the sights, but to experience what they experienced. Obviously, our first stop is going to be in Jerusalem, an upper room, where they were on the day of Pentecost, waiting expectantly for the promise of the Spirit. It says this in Acts Chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke, they did that, but the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. 
not a process like sanctification, which is over time we bear the fruit of the Spirit, we become more Christ-like. It says, suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a, like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house and filled all of them in the house. Jesus had already appeared to them in the upper room on Resurrection Sunday, weeks before. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit, but they weren't filled. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You're born of the Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in you. Just like when he breathed on them. Their sins were forgiven. They knew the gospel. Jesus had died for them. Jesus was resurrected. But he said, wait, in Jerusalem, you're going to need something. This isn't an accessory. This is an essential to being a witness, to living the Christian life as a witness. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. And that's what they were doing. Jesus himself waited until he was 30 and was baptized in the Jordan. He did no miracles until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't preach, but after the Spirit came upon him, after he was baptized, he went into a synagogue and he opened up and he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. There's three important prepositions when it comes to the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus says in the Gospels, he's with you. And then he says he'll be in you. And then there's the prepositional phrase, upon. The Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. I don't know about you, but early on in my Christian life, I realized I needed power. I had many drinking buddies who could not figure out what happened to me. I tried to explain to them. They were inviting me to parties. I would be in a, a setting, and I, I wanted to be a witness. But I struggled until, I'll never forget that Sunday, at Faith Fellowship, Wilbur Jackson was preaching. If anybody's thirsty, let them come to me, Jesus says. And out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He had a big yogi bear face with a big smile. And, and he was just full of joy. And he went to Ezekiel and he said, out from under the temple. And we sang about living water flows from God's heart. And the prophet saw water that was ankle deep flowing. And then a little bit further along, it was to the thighs and then the weight. And then there was water to swim in that would just carry you along. Speaking of the spirit. And I was there that night. I was in the back in the religious tradition I grew up in. As soon as he would say amen, everybody would hit the door, go for the parking lot. So I raised my hand. I was so thirsty. Everybody kind of turned and looked when he said, yes, in the back. I said, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, well, come on down. Well, as I was coming on down to the front, I sensed it was like electricity without a shock. It was power. It was pure love. By the time he laid his hands on me, I was, my lips were quivering. And there was such a saturation 
of God's presence. It's called a baptism. John baptized with water, which means to be immersed in water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's not a sprinkle. Think of Victoria Falls. 645 liters of water every second. You stand there, and, and I'm sure you have, in just a couple of seconds, it's more water than they use in New York City in a day. The God who created the Victoria Falls pouring his spirit out upon Mark. And Mark went home, and he, he, he prayed like he never prayed before. He prayed in tongues. He paced the floor. He prayed for his family. He, he prayed. And the Holy Spirit gave me utterance as I opened my mouth. Although I didn't understand all that I was praying, God understood it all. Second stop. What can we do? Well, we can wait on the Lord expectantly, and the second stop is at a house down the street where they're praying together. They're praying together focused, fervently, and in one accord. And it says this in Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I started speaking the word of God with boldness. I'll never forget my first speech class in high school. Five minutes. I died a thousand deaths. I turned red several times to put me, I thought I'm never getting in front of a group again. And then the first time I was asked and given an opportunity to preach in Cincinnati, 10 minutes. After five minutes, I had said everything and I was like, but when the power of the Holy Spirit can change and transform you. Oh, and we see here, they pray, prayer, focused prayer, asking. Jesus says, if you fathers, which are sinful by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? He's not going to give you a serpent when you ask for fish. Or stone when you ask for bread. Ask to be filled. Well, I was filled, as I mentioned. Years later, fast forward, I'm in Zimbabwe. I got 10 things to do. I'm in my bed in the afternoon. I got to teach at Bible school that evening, involved in two building programs, an elder and a couple of churches and just stressed and strained and exhausted lying in my bed. Ever been there? And you wonder, how are you going to do the next thing? And I asked, I cried out, I said, Lord, help me. Next thing I knew, I started laughing. I just started laughing. And I laughed and laughed, and I laughed so hard, I rolled out of bed. But when I got up, everything had changed. Something happened in my heart. That yoke, that weight, all those cares were broken off of me. It was the Holy Spirit. He filled my tongue with laughter and delivered me from that which was oppressing me. Living a spirit-filled life. Wow. Yes, sir. We need to keep our hearts pure. Our hands need to be open. 
We need to have a listening ear. We need to be asking, receiving, expecting. And just because you're filled once doesn't mean that's it. And there are people who are filled, and just because they're filled doesn't mean that everything they say and do is from God. Not at all. We need to be being filled. The third stop, very important stop, the temple compound. Again, we're in Jerusalem. There was an upper room we've been to. There's a house down the street. Now we go to the temple compound, the center of religious power in that day. And we see how important it is walking in obedience to God's word, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, a willingness to walk in obedience to all that God commands and to whatever he might ask you, to drop things and at a moment's notice, speak to that person. Mark, speak to that person. I know you're busy, but stop and speak. And it says, Peter, in Acts 5.32, he says, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given, notice, to those who obey him. Obeying. Stopping things. Being a witness. After the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to be a witness. Dunamis is the Greek word, 120 times in the New Testament. Alfred Noble invented dynamite, asked his Greek friend, what's a good Greek word for dynamite? He said, dunamis. It's power. It's explosive power. This power to be a witness, a willingness to obey. Do you have a conviction that you need to be a witness to invite people to church, to tell them about Jesus, the people you work with, the people you cross paths with? The people in your everyday life, from the time I was born again, as I mentioned, my former drinking buddies, a, a conviction, I need to share Jesus. And my first mission field was a hospital in Cincinnati called Christ Hospital. Nine floors, 500 beds, a vast mission field of people in great need. Men especially in need that I crossed paths with. My job, I would come in in the afternoon, I'd come from Bible school, and I'd clean the operating rooms, and then in the evening, I would shave men from their neck to their ankles. The following morning, they would be cut just below their neck to just above their navel. Their ribs would be separated, their heart would be stopped, they would be put on a machine. Veins would be taken from their legs to bypass the blocked arteries. They would be zapped to get their heart started again. I would go into four or five men's rooms a night, have 45 minutes with them, and I carried the conviction, Mark, you need to be a witness. I'd be praying. I'd be looking to the Lord. And the Lord taught me. And I, uh, uh, I would ask them, the first 20 minutes, family, what kind of work you do, what kind of hobbies, what are you interested in, sports, whatever they wanted to talk about. I took an interest in them, and always, invariably, 20, 25 minutes later, and what do you do, young man? And I would tell them how Jesus came into my life. I'd been studying political science, pre-law, and then Jesus came into my life. And I tell them what I was learning at Bible school, often pray for them. 
And I would go in the next day. And that one day going in the next day, I went to an operating room in the back and there was such a somber atmosphere. The nurses, their heads were down, cleaning instruments. I went into the room and it looked like a a war zone. There was blood on the wall, blood on the floor, the operating table. I had my gloves on. I was cleaning blood, getting on me. And one of the nurses told me they fought frantically, but he had died an hour earlier. I looked on the list. It was a man I had prepared that night that I had an opportunity to share the hope, the living hope of Jesus. And as tears filled my eyes, I hoped that he left this world at peace with God. And the scripture came home to me in such a powerful way by the Holy Spirit in Acts 20, where Paul says, I am free from the guilt of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God's word. I found it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can be witnesses. Fourth stop, another city outside Jerusalem, quite a ways, the city of Caesarea, a man named Cornelius at his house. They're hearing and believing God's word. Like you today are hearing God's word. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, The Holy Spirit fell upon, notice the word upon, all those who heard the word. What were they doing? Hearing, but they were mixing what they heard with faith. They were believing. They had gathered together expectantly. And when Peter came and was preaching to them, and these are the first Gentiles, at Cornelius' house. He was a centurion. He was of the Italian band. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. And I don't think Peter or those who had come with Peter would have laid hands on them necessarily. And God said, I'm going to do something sovereign here. I'm going to pour my spirit out because he promised to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, upon your sons, upon your daughters, upon as many as the Lord our God will call. It's for you. It's for me. We need it. Hearing and believing, so essential. I, in 1986, got to travel to Bikita, the communal trust lands. There had been severe drought. As we were traveling, the riverbeds were dry. When we got to the place where a couple of hundred Christians had gathered, we were in a real remote area. They had gathered there because there was a prolific borehole. And one evening, with bulbs stringed, uh, lighting the night we're preaching in the open air and the holy spirit fell upon those who had gathered they were hungry they were thirsty and i'll never forget as some people were being set free from oppression and others were crying out to jesus there was a 10 year old boy his hands were lifted up 
Tears were streaming down his face. He was caught up with the living God. Uh, I looked at his face and the impact. I was awestruck. It stayed with me. God was filling him with the Holy Spirit, transforming his life. Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Our fifth and final stop, and this is an important stop. It's asking in faith while hands are laid on you by someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the most common, frequent way the Holy Spirit is ministered in the Acts of the Apostles. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. The Samaritans, they were believers. They had heard the preaching of Philip. They were baptized, but now they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul had hands laid on him, and that's how we know he received. In Ephesus, there were 12 who had hands laid on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe... You haven't experienced this. It's wonderful to to know there's more. Do you desire more? Do you thirst for more? I remember my spiritual uh, father, Wilbur, who I mentioned, who had this yogi bear face and full of joy. He came out of a tradition where they didn't really believe. That's for today. But then he experienced it. And some people he's talking to were saying, um, why, would you, why would you want that? And he said, because what I've had has been so good, I want it more. And there is more. There's this filling of fullness. And in the burdens, in the cares, in the stresses, God has more for us. We come to church expectantly. We gather in Jesus' name. We worship and we wait upon him. And perhaps we have time for the worship team to come. We started, we talked about what can we do. We sing. And if the worship team is going to come and lead us, we're going to stand together and we're going to do these things. We're going to pray and ask for God to send a time of refreshing to pour out his spirit upon Hope Church, upon us. Will you stand with me? And I, I'm going to ask the Lord right where you're at, right at the point of your need, that God's spirit would fill. Father, I pray right now for each person in this hall and those in the breezeway. Lord, you know every need in this room even before we ask, but we're asking, Lord, for the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and that as we worship, Lord, and as we sing to one another, our hearts would be full, that we would experience the refreshing and the fullness of your Spirit. Jesus, come. Come and baptize us. Come and fill us. We're expectant. We're looking to you. We're asking just in your own words as we worship. Ask him, Lord, fill me. Lord, send your spirit to me. Come, Lord Jesus.